When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, welcome back. So there's a handful of things I wanted to talk about today on my uh, drive home. That's actually what I'm doing right now as we record this. It was definitely an interesting day in the markets. And, and you know, I'm glad that I held off on both Monday and Tuesday on talking about the precious metals markets. Because we saw silver and gold down significantly overnight on Sunday into Monday and Tuesday and it was looking I don't want to use the word bleak but you know not all that encouraging uh, especially with with the uh, resilience of the edge shown up to that point and yet gold in particular found some support just north of 1450 silver certainly fell further than that but didn't ever make it a whole lot below $17 an ounce and sure enough by midweek we saw a huge move up today with gold currently around 1500 which is a pretty good round number to be around and silver up around 1750 so why did this occur well first of all you know the move down early in the week i would attribute largely to what's called the golden week in china now that's that's basically a week of celebration in in china uh which involves the markets basically being closed which means that in the global markets, including precious metals, you have less involvement from one of the biggest buyers of silver and gold. It's just almost like a rule of thumb. And and I'll be honest, I didn't even mention it leading up to this year. And I feel like I forgot, I forget every year to mention beforehand that, hey, this is the golden week or, hey, this is the Chinese New Year. Uh, but I think that is a big part of why silver and gold moved down so much early in the week. But it seems like each year the move down is, is less extreme than the year prior and it doesn't last as long. And we're seeing that already here Wednesday with, again, a pretty strong move up in silver and gold. Now, yes, maybe you could say there's a bit of, I don't know, I don't even want to use the word technical damage, but but some a significant move down. But, but the length of that move down was pretty insignificant in the whole scheme of things. Now, it wasn't only the precious metals, though, that were on the move today. Of course, we had a huge move in the stock market. And I want to talk about that here as well. The Dow Jones down almost 500 points when it's all said and done. You know, I'm excited to do my weekly wrap-up video, my, uh, you know, I think it's week 51 of the precious bull market or the silver bull market, and, and talk about those ratios in silver and gold to the S&P or the Dow Jones not only because of the move up in silver and gold, I mean, all things considered, they're gonna be at similar levels to where they were last Friday, but the markets, uh, the stock market is gonna be down significantly. And that's, uh, you know, that obviously affects that ratio quite a bit. Uh, but before I get to that, because I have a ton to say about that in particular, uh, the stock market and, and overall the economy and why all of a sudden this pessimism has returned, I want to go back to silver and gold real quick and give you guys my thoughts on that as we head into the final quarter of the year. It is a final quarter now. It's October. Uh, long story short, you know, I wouldn't expect to see, or I wouldn't be surprised to see occasional pullbacks like what we're seeing right now 
in both silver and gold along the way that that tends to be the theme especially like in november early december to see a pretty decent sized pullback however the recent economic data as well as the move today in the stock market really reinforces the opinion that I've been talking about for, for so many months now that we're on the brink of a pretty major economic downturn. And it's only a matter of time before the U.S. and much of the world slips into a recession. And along with that comes two key factors that affects precious metals. First of all, a devaluation of currencies, which we've seen for 10 plus years, but it's going to be ratcheted up another level, especially the U.S. dollar, which hasn't seen as much devaluation as the euro or the yen or even the yuan. But in addition to that, we're also going to have a huge new source of demand for silver and gold from individuals that are looking for safety and even growth in an asset that traditionally looks like just a hedge, a safety play, silver and gold, but has a significant potential because of some of the supply and demand constraints. I'm on demand and, and a contracting supply coming onto the market each year, as well as just this market psychology that... Hey, paper assets are on their way out. And I'm not calling them, I'm not saying that paper assets, digital assets are, are going to disappear or anything like that. But this idea that somehow something like a bond or a U.S. Treasury bond or a corporate bond or even the U.S. dollar or any fiat currency is somehow a safe haven asset, uh, that's going to come into question. And I think we're going to see other assets, even some what we might consider risk assets like, like stocks, uh, and of course, precious metals, which are by no means a risk, a risk asset, but a little bit more volatile, we'll see those be seen as as the the safer choices versus assets that are ultimately dependent on the whims of, of governments and of central banks, which, well, we, we know which way those whims uh, tend to swing. They tend to swing towards devaluation, inflation, uh, weaker and weaker currencies. Why would you put your faith in something like a treasury bond, whether it's U.S., German, Japanese, Chinese, whatever, when the underlying currency is almost guaranteed to be inflated year after year, decade after decade? And if anything, it's looking like that inflation is going to increase over the coming years. Why, why, why does that make sense? Obviously, I get why it's seen as a safe haven asset right now, even uh, you know, even as we see their valuations, the, the price on these bonds continue to increase as, as yields go lower and lower. But there's going to come a time when that bubble will pop, and, and it's going to be even more damaging than when this stock market ultimately pops. So those two big factors, which I've talked about, I, I feel like, for years now. By the way, it's October 2nd here. Three years, actually, Silver Fortune Channel has, has been here on YouTube. So I'm just realizing that as I bring up how many years I've been talking about this. But yeah, those are the two big factors. You have devaluation of currencies and central bank policy, along with a rush to a safe haven asset, a, a hedge, uh, something that is not uh, as exposed to weak economic growth or the uh, collapse of, of the aforementioned fiat currencies. Anyways, so that's, again, precious metals, that's, that's a long-term outlook. Uh, over the next couple months, the last quarter of the year, um, it, it absolutely ties into what I just mentioned there. Because as we see central banks more and more move towards easier monetary policy, cutting interest rates, quantitative easing, helicopter money, all of that, 
it's only going to be a boon for precious metals, right? I mean, how how could we possibly see an environment in which the Fed moves to 0%, which they could do within the next 12 months, even the next six months, uh, probably not next three months, but certainly next six to 12 months, and somehow see silver and gold stay where they're at. It's, it's not going to happen. I mean, in many ways, the, the Federal Reserve, arguably the most important central bank in the world, you know, the day they go back to uh, quantitative easing and zero or negative interest rates, that's a day that you're going to see a lot of traders, a lot of investors, a lot of individuals wake up and realize that the last 10 years of drastic easing and and monetary policy as a whole has all been for naught. That it was predicated on this idea that somehow a central bank could extend a business cycle indefinitely. That they could replace the credit replace a business cycle with a never-ending credit cycle and and that myth that that the fed and central banks have, have tried to push for so many years now is is going to be exposed for just what it is it's a myth it, it goes against some real basic laws of, of economics and some real basic common sense once you build a decent understanding of how debt how currencies how economies work so that kind of brings us to this other topic about the stock market you know it's it it seemed like there for a while that many market participants had somehow forgotten that it was only a month or two ago when everyone was kind of freaking out about this coming recession. And then all of a sudden we get some decent economic data here in the United States, uh, much better than, than around the world. And all of a sudden people are not as worried as if somehow you know, the yield curve hadn't inverted in the first place or the Fed wasn't cutting interest rates, which tends to to signal a coming recession. And I think what a a large chunk of that is, is of course, economic data is easily manipulated and is easily distorted by things like government spending, which some individuals have brought up, that it tends to be that quarter two, quarter three of of each year, we, we tend to see some improvement in economic data largely because of a, a jump in government spending. Government agencies are given a certain budget, and, and you know how that works, whether you're a government agents, uh, agency or a, a you know, division of a company or something. When you're given that budget, it's fiscally responsible to only spend what you need to spend, but in the best interest of your agency or your, your division of the company or whatever, if you spend what you're given in terms of that budget, then you're going to be given a similar or even larger budget the following year. And of course, if you don't you know, meet that budget, then they're going to give you less money the next year. And so what happens is towards the end of the fiscal year, which ended you know, just uh, on, on September 30th, all of a sudden you see government agencies spending a large amount of money to to meet their their budget, right? And so they don't get a smaller budget the following year. And some have theorized that that plays into this quarter three move up in in uh, the the overall GDP or some of these economic indicators, which really should be worrying, if anything. You know, just how dependent the U.S. economy is on on deficit spending. I mean, that's basically what it is. We ran an over $1 trillion deficit in fiscal year 20, whatever that was, 2019. $1 trillion, right? Meaning that the U.S. government, through that deficit spending, basically provided 
$1 trillion worth of stimulus, right? Some of it's going to go to healthcare, some of it's going to go to, to housing, some of it's going to go through through the various, you know, other channels that the, the government spends money, uh, defense spending and, and, and all sorts of other agencies. But that's a trillion dollars regardless. Now, you could argue that, that you know, we pay for that through through things like um, interest rates, as well as the fact that it, it takes dollars to, to buy those bonds. And then that's a serious problem that we've been dealing with for the last year plus where where the U.S. Treasury market is just bloated and, and there's just not enough dollars to go around to, to buy all these bonds. But that's a trillion dollar stimulus that if it were not provided, uh, <laughs> we would be in a pretty pretty deep recession right now. But the nature of those types of debts, those deficits, are that eventually deficit spending creates less and less economic growth. I think we've seen that over the years, right? I, I couldn't quantify this. Some people maybe have a decent quantification of this. But the, the idea of it is, is that early on when you have a small amount of debt, you know, $1 of deficit spending might create $1 of economic growth. But over time, it's going to take $2 and then $5 and $10 and $100 of deficit spending, of debt creation to create $1 of economic growth. And I think that's where we're heading, right? These types of, of stimulus to the economy through deficit spending can only go on for so long. But anyways, I digress. After that's removed, we start to see economic data deteriorate. And we've seen that even already this this past week. The stock market was down something like a thousand points, the Dow Jones, from its high, largely because of weakening economic data and fears of recession. It, of course, probably doesn't come as any surprise to you and I, but market traders and investors tend to have a pretty you know, short-term memory. Well, that's where we are. Once again, likely to head into a recession. I think we are always were likely head into a recession, but now the markets again are, are reminded of that over the next six to 12 months. And it's, it's getting bad. You know, I, I, I wonder how much longer this can go on. Europe has, has continues to be pretty poor in terms of economic growth, teetering on the brink of, of a recession in many countries. Some countries I believe already are in a recession. You know, just recently, Japan, a pretty significant contributor to global economic growth announced that they're raising their uh, tax rate, their sales tax rate from 8% to 10%. Uh, you know, you, you think we have it bad here in the United States. Uh, they're raising it to 10%, which the past two times they did it, uh, a, a recession followed quickly thereafter. This one was this, this hike in, in the sales tax was, was delayed actually several times, but it's finally gone into, to, uh, kind of place. And, and again, that's not going to help Japanese economic growth, right? The Japanese banking system is already, I think, in a very precarious position. It doesn't get enough attention, right? The European and the U.S. banking system gets a lot of attention, but I think the Japanese uh, banking sector is not in a good position, especially with with some of these recent developments in these unicorn companies such as WeWork, which one of the largest, if not the largest Japanese bank, SoftBank, is heavily exposed to. Right. And that's only going to create further instability in the overall financial system. And now we have the United States once again uh, dealing with some very weak economic growth. Uh, again, I mean, not a whole lot has changed other than that we're a couple of days, a couple of weeks, a couple of months closer to this next recession. And I think it's going to be a doozy. You know, you, you have this 
this global synchronized slowdown, it would appear, right? China is, is in that same boat. You know, I recently heard in a news report, somebody talking about how China is, is taking a different approach to economic growth that, that they're allowing economic growth to be weaker than usual because they're focused on the long game. And I think it's total BS. I mean, China has propped up their economy for years with stimulus, right? Really dating back to 2009. And, and they're reaching that very, Minsky moment that, that I was just talking about with the United States and our own deficit spending, they're reaching that point. And, and I don't think it's so much that they're unwilling to try and pump up economic growth. They could try and, and it would probably be futile, you know, beyond a quarter of, or two of, of economic growth. They can try, uh, but but it's not so much a choice as it's the, the consequences of, of years and years worth of, of short-sighted uh, policies, on, on, on behalf of the, the Chinese uh, Communist Party. And so it's not that they're taking the, the, the long approach, the long-term view. No, they've taken the short-term approach for so long that, that they're, they're almost forced to just, you know, allow economic growth to weaken uh, rather than just, and I think they're doing, uh, they're, they're undertaking quite a bit of effort just to to avoid a crash landing in terms of economic growth and a full-blown recession. But even so, we're seeing a global synchronized slowdown. The U.S. is on board now as well. Uh, the the threat of a significant conflict is, is still on the horizon, whether it be Iran or North Korea uh, or even something that involves uh, India and Pakistan. Um, I don't see a whole lot of, of silver linings to this all other than, you know, silver and gold itself. Uh, so, so that's where we are, you know, as we, we start the final quarter of the year, uh, we might've seen the top in the stock market over the last couple months when it did top out. Um, but I certainly think that, that the, uh, the next recession is right around the corner and, and so is the next bull bull market, sorry, bear market in the stock market, bull market for precious metals. So as always, you guys can hear this train horn, (laughs) I hope it's not too disruptive. Uh, I do like doing this while I drive uh, because it, it saves me time. And, and I did get a new mic, so I hope the audio quality has improved. But anyways, I'd like to hear your feedback regardless. I hope it wasn't too spotty today. And I hope you guys, I'm coherent. You guys can, can understand me as I, I talk through some of these different topics. But as always, I'd like to thank you guys from the bottom of my heart for watching this video, listening to this podcast. And God bless.